0: Hello everyone and welcome to episode number three. I am so excited for today's guest, Laura Stewart. Laura and I have a lot in common. We're both real estate agents. We both work for some pretty awesome men who can be loud and really do a lot of content, which also encourages us to put ourselves out there more. Um, So I'm so excited to dive in with Laura. We also have pre-construction condos that we bought as investments, so we will hear all about that today. And we have cute dogs in our lives too. And on top of it all, if you're listening to this, you might not see us, but we are wearing the same color. So I am so excited to get into it. Laura, tell us about who you are.
1: Lindsay, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me. I'm super pumped to be the third guest and I'm so proud of you for starting this podcast endeavor. Uh, I I just know you're going to do great. So kudos to you and thanks again. Um, And I missed the question. I was too excited about our matching colors.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just tell us who you are. Who is Laura Stewart? (laughs) Yeah. So
1: Laura Stewart, I'm a real estate agent here in Toronto. I work on a team called REC Canada. We have about 41 agents on our team. My job specifically is, well, my title is uh, the director of sales and marketing. So I really help with the branding of our company, as well as the sales of pre-construction uh, units here in, in the greater Toronto area. Um, I also help, you were mentioning all the great men in our lives who are kind of inspiring us to step outside our comfort zones. I help Jazz Takar, who is the owner of REC Canada. I help him with his own personal branding and development as well, which has been a complete eye-opening experience. And I've so, so enjoyed it. Um, I have my MBA in marketing. And I remember years and years ago now, we were talking about personal brands and the importance of that. And I'd never really seen it happen like in person with the exception of say like a Kim Kardashian or a celebrity of that sort. Um, but now, you know, with technology these days, podcasts, blogs, like everyone has the opportunity to speak and to put their content out on YouTube or social media. And I, I just think it's fantastic. It's, so it's been a great eye-opening experience for me. And that's pretty much me in a nutshell, but you also mentioned my dog. So big shout out to Rudy, my, my fur baby.
0: I love Rudy. Rudy's adorable. Awesome. So what brought you to real estate? Like, did you always know that that was where you get, you were going to end up or did it happen as a fluke?
1: Oh my God. I consider myself a Jack of all trades and master of none. I am one of those people (laughs) who has changed my career so many times, changed the industry I've worked in so many times, gone back to school for different things. Like it's, it's been pretty crazy. My undergraduate degree is in nutrition. So I have a science degree. I thought I was going to be a dietitian working at a hospital. And in my fourth year, um, that's when you start applying for internships at hospitals. And I kind of was looking around the, the other people in my program. There was about 75 of us in the program and some of the best students with like 95% averages were, were needing to go to the Yukon um, to do their internship because it was so, so competitive. And I thought, man, if they're going to the Yukon then I'm probably not getting in anywhere. And so that really made me consider whether or not it was something I truly wanted to do. I mean, I was a good student, but I was no by no means a 90s average student. And so I kind of took that time to say, "Ugh, this sucks. I put four years into this and I, you know, I was a bit unhappy about the whole thing. But, you know, after quite a bit of reflection, I said, maybe this is a blessing in disguise. And now you have a fresh start. So I finished my degree just to have the degree. And then after that, I, I dabbled in, um, you know, I just needed some jobs to get by to pay the rent here in Toronto. It's pretty expensive to live in Toronto. And so I was working at a company, it was a concierge services company where we essentially provided design travel arrangements and, um, you know, personal services to people. So whether it be making sure that their eavesdrops are cleaned every year to making sure that they're getting their sushi order every Friday night. And that kind of put me in the world of, of the affluent Torontonians, which I thought was really cool just to see sort of the amount of money that some people have. And I knew their jobs and I got to know them pretty well. So I I learned how they eventually got there. Um, still, wasn't my thing. Cause I was actually doing administrative work there. So I was like, okay, let me, let me dabble in something else. So I, again, took some time off. I started a nannying gig um, with a, a family friend. They have a special needs daughter and they, they just asked me to help out a little bit there while I was doing that. I went back to school for um, a, re, a retail buying certificate. I was thinking I was going to be like Jennifer Aniston, you know, on friends where she's like a buyer for a department store. And I was like, that's going to be that. the coolest job. I love fashion. So let me do what I'm passionate about went back to school for that. Then I got hired as an intern at Holt Renfrew, which to me was like the most coveted job. Like apparently the it. applications that they get are <laughs> insane. And I I got that job because a lot of people ask me, how did you get that job? And I'm like, I followed up probably with the, the HR, the director of HR there 20 times, emails, phone calls, thank you cards in the mail, emails, phone calls. Like I just kept doing it until I was like, he's going to meet with me. He's going to meet with me. <laughs> It's one of those things I, I met with the head of the department and I ended up getting the job, not because I had any fashion background. A lot of these girls that are applying and and fellas applying for these jobs, they actually like have a, a, an undergraduate degree in fashion or or something similar design. And I had none of that. Obviously I was a science student. So, you know, I was always shocked how I got this job, but she, she said to me, I love that you were a skier. I'm a skier and I have kids who are in the race program and you were a coach and You just never know how you're going to connect with somebody. And so I always think it's so important to put that stuff on your resume, put that stuff out in social media, because people will connect with you, not on the things that you think. So I I did that that job for a little bit. And I was like, "Mm, I'd rather shop at Holt Renfrew than buy for Holt Renfrew. You know what I mean? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I decided that's it. I'm going to go back to school and do my MBA extra schooling. I'm a believer in education. And I, I don't think that ever goes to waste. So I went back to school and was doing my MBA. I started that nannying gig again. So for the next three years, I, I spend my days like, you know, helping out a special needs person doing evening classes at, uh, at Schulich. And, um, in the meantime, you know, all of a sudden that light bulb went off. I was probably watching too much million dollar listing. <laughs> on TV. I was like, I really think I can do this. Like, my background in luxury goods and working with luxury clients, I think I'd be a really great luxury real estate agent. So I decided while doing all these other things to also go and do um, my real estate license. So I was doing all this at the same time and planning a wedding. It was like the craziest two years of my life. I know I (laughs) say, I look back, I don't know how I did any of it, but regardless, here I am not selling luxury real estate, by the way. And I'm selling, you know, average price might probably $600,000, not, not luxury in in the Toronto uh, area. And um, yeah, you just really never know how you're going to get to be where you go. And the good news is, is that through all this journey, I've now learned like going forward, I'm really open to whatever, whatever life has in store for me, because I've already seen how many times I'm able to shift and pivot and and move around and so I'm I'm almost more excited to see what changes have in store for me. So that's the longest answer.
0: <laughs> I love it though. Like it's like the true adapting to whatever situation kind of comes to you and you've landed into a really amazing role with the REC team. Um when you first started, what did that role look like?
1: Yeah, so when I first started on the team, that was six just over six years ago now, um, I wanted to join a team. So anyone looking to get into real estate, um, you know, it would be my advice to you to to join a team because you can cut your learning curve in half. Going out on your own can be very difficult because it's tough to get leads. And if you don't even know how to write up a contract or an agreement, you don't really feel you have someone to turn to. It can be a pretty lonely industry. So I said, I'm going to join a team and I'm going to learn the ropes from one of the best in the business. REC Canada happened to be one of the best uh, across the country. And so I said, well, that would be a great team for me to join. Even though they weren't specializing in luxury, I thought more transactions would be better, like to get my, my foot in the door with doing a lot of transactions in a short period of time where when you're in the, you know, the 2 million plus price range, those transactions don't happen as often. And I, I felt like that wouldn't be a great learning experience for myself. So I really just started as an agent on the team. Um, Jazz, the owners would give me some of his, his like leases to do. I quickly learned that you put so much work into a lease. Yes, it's good experience, but you put the equal amount of work into helping someone get a, a lease as you would um, getting something to buy. So I quickly said, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm 30. I'm I'm not running around like that, Um, which was probably short-sighted in the grand scheme of things. But then, you know, about two years in, I was kind of humming and hawing like, I'm not doing as much business as I wanted. And an interesting opportunity came across my desk in that um, the owners of the team, they were working with an investor group and they a couple of times a year would go to these summits where they would be presenting in front of three, four, 500 investors. And they were short a person. The, their uh, admin person couldn't help them out that weekend. And they said, "We need an admin person." And here I am now. What would I be? 32 years old, and I'm like, I put up my hand. I was like, <laughs> "I'll be the admin person." And this is after like I have my, I have multiple degrees. I have so much experience. But I knew that I just needed to see what was going on here. I was like, I just gotta, I just gotta get get in the room. And so I went to one of these summits and. I couldn't even believe it. I couldn't believe the education that these investors have. It was incredible. Uh, you know, the same investors. So you know what I'm talking about? They're, they're willing to take action. And at one point they were like throwing like reservation forms at us for pre-construction condos. <laughs> and my head almost exploded. I was like, do you know how hard it is to get a client who, who wants to buy or sell with you, let alone something like this. And so thereafter, I, I pretty much showed up to work every day. I just sat outside their office and I listened. Hey, do you guys need coffee? Hey, do you guys need me to um, print that for you? Or do you need me to scan that? Oh, you know what? I think this would be better for your system. You guys need an Excel spreadsheet. So I kind of used all of the experience I had in all of my other jobs. And I just, you know, put my hand up to do anything I could to help essentially keeping me in the room. And then what happened was they said, I need you to make some calls to people. Did that. And then it just kind of progressed. And then within the next year, I think I was helped. I, we redesigned all the branding to some of the branding you see behind me. Then we started a podcast. Uh, then I became the co-host of that podcast. It's called the Jazz Tack, Our Podcast, shameless plug. Um, and and <laughs> it's really just it down taken down. off. I, I can't even believe in such a short period of time how I turned it all around. My advice to anyone who's listening is never be never think you're too good to do a job. You're never too good to clean dishes or wash floors or pack boxes you'd be amazed at the amount of help people need and they'll pay it forward. Like they will pay you back for that help. Um, As long as you go in with no expectations and, and just thinking like, what can I give? What value can I give you versus what do you think you can get from them? And that's been my ticket all along.
0: I love that. And definitely applying it to real estate as well, not just your career, but anyone that you're working with. I love that that it's what, what I want for you, not what I want from you. So I really, I love that. And I love your story and how you just were willing to take what seemed like a step back to most people after all of that and all of the degrees and everything that you had, but just be willing to come from a place of service and knowing that that propelled you so much further. So I just
1: want to add on to that. I remember I was 26 years old when I decided to go back to school to do my MBA. And I remember kind of counting on my fingers, like, okay, when by the time I'm done, I'm going to be nearing 30, you know, nearing yeah. 30. And I was like, <laughs> I'm so old. I'm only starting my career at 30 years old. I, it, I remember like having a bit of turmoil about it because it, all my friends were like now six, seven years into their careers, like their careers. And I was a nanny. I didn't have a career. Um, <laughs> so I was very, very nervous about that, but Now that I'm in my thirties, you know, a lot of people I know are taking a step back saying, oh man, I should have made that decision younger. And I, I think, you know, we always think that like thirties old, forties old, fifties old, at the end of the day, I plan on being around here a long time and, um, you know, knock on wood, but that means we have time. You have time to make changes in your life. Like you want to be happy. I want to live the next 50 years super super happy so i may as well make those changes today I, yeah i wish i made them yesterday but i can't do anything about that so just always be looking forward and saying like there's time you have time to make those changes
0: i love that and i do i talk to a lot of investors that are in their later 40s and their 50s and they're like oh it's too late for me i can't invest um because i should have done this so much earlier you're so much younger you're doing it earlier but it's just getting started. It's getting into it. And again, it's adapting even at that age. So I love that. Awesome. I love that you were talking about branding and how you kind of bring your own personal flair into that. And it has to be connecting with people. How do you do that with fashion? I know that you love fashion.
1: Yeah, I so it's so funny, because I work with a lot of uh, real estate agents who will ask either myself or jazz or the team, like, how do you guys put out so much content? And what type of content should I put out? When I look at the majority of real estate agents putting out content, I see a lot of just sold, just listed, just sold, just listed, which is great. I mean, kudos to you and you're putting something out there. So a lot of people aren't even at that place where they're actually promoting themselves because I mean, Circa 20 years ago, at least my parents raised me to be like not a person who boasts about themselves and talks about themselves. And so this has been an adjustment, certainly for my age group, to even post something about ourselves that's a bit braggy. My only advice to to most people is think of like the top three things that you love and that you're passionate about and talk about all three of them. It doesn't have to be in equal amounts, but it should all at least be in there. And I started doing doing this thing called fashion Fridays. This has probably been about two years ago now, fashion Friday, where I would essentially try to recreate an outfit that I saw on a celebrity that I really liked. And I couldn't believe the amount of feedback I got on these posts. Like I'd be walking around the office and everyone's like, oh, is that what you're wearing for fashion Friday? Saw your fashion Friday post. Love your clothes. Where do you get this? Now, all of a sudden, my friends are asking me for fashion advice all the time. And it's funny because you might say, well, you don't make money through fashion yes that's true i do not make any money through fashion um so what's the point well the point is people are connecting with me and and what i'm posting is memorable you're just listed and just sold are not necessarily that memorable and people want to connect with you on more of a personal level i also think what it's done is it's weaned out the people i certainly don't want to work with because some people probably hate fashion. And they're like, I don't want to work with someone that likes fashion. Maybe they think it's shallow or whatever they think it is. And they don't, they wouldn't want to work with me. Well, great. And now I'm not wasting my time. They're not wasting their time. And it kind of allows you to sort through all the clutter and focuses your attention and your time on people who you really do like, and who you really jive with making your job again, that much more fun. So now I get to talk about stuff. I like besides real estate, I get to wear awesome clothes, which I like, and I get to work with people who also have that passion for it as well. And also know, if you're not getting like the likes and the comments, understand that people are watching. A lot of people do not hit the like button. They don't share it. They don't comment. But then when they see you, they will say something. And, and I've actually had a lot of people who say, love your fashion post, post. By the way, I need to sell my house. So it's like we've connected through the fashion post. That's what keeps me in their feed every day. Top of mind, top of mind, top of mind. And eventually they're going to figure it out that you're in real estate, Right or something else that you're selling, they're going to figure it out what you actually do, but now you're kind of showing them a little piece of you. So between fashion, my dog working out, like I've kind of opened mine up now to be a lot more things that I'm interested and passionate about. But, um, if you're, if you're looking for a place to start, I'd say, start with three things that you really enjoy.
0: I love that. And it's kind of easier to come up with content that way, because it's just, it's you, it's, exactly what you're doing already and just sharing that with the world. I love to start um, my days with sharing all my stories with what I'm doing, what's happening in my day and um, going from there because it's a conversation that you're having with all of these people that are watching, sorry, watching and it could be about um, 200 people that are watching and that's a conversation with 200 people that you're having. So I love that. And and I think, I think a lot of people, they go down the path
1: of well, I have to set up, you know, I have to make there be a background and I have to have the right recording things and I have to get the camera and the lighting and, you know, I have to make sure my hair is done and my makeup's done. And obviously if that's the brand that you want, then yeah, you need to put a little more attention into it. But we always say here, capture, don't create. So don't create content, especially when you're getting started. Don't think of like a, a massive idea you're going to do. Set an alarm in your calendar. This is some of the best advice I, I heard. Set an alarm in your calendar when the alarm goes off, whatever you are doing at that time, maybe with the exception of if you're in the bathroom, <laughs> take a picture of it <laughs> and post it. Like, we want to see your hustle. People want to see the story. Like, the behind-the-scenes stuff does way better than even the, produced, the, the wonderfully produced content. You'd be surprised. And so you kind of just got to get over that fear of, like, people are going to judge me for my hair being out of whack. Like, I now post pictures of my pimples on my face and, like, everyone's like, oh, I love this. I get it too. Like we're all human, right? And so showing that human side of everything just really allows people to connect with you. You end up finding your tribe of people who who believe what you believe. And it's been an incredible experience. It, it really has been eye-opening for me. And I got to say like my own personal confidence has actually increased. The more I put stuff out there, the better I feel about myself because now I'm not hiding it. I'm not keeping it all like tight to my chest. And once I've let it out and I've told everybody, we say here like the the Eminem scene on eight mile at the end where he pretty much just like tears himself down in his, his rap contest. Uh, the guy had nothing to say. So if you kind of put all your flaws out there for everyone to see, what are they going to say? There's nothing left to say. And it's very, very freeing.
0: I love it. Um, was it ever nerve wracking? I know we can get in our heads a lot and it, restricts us from putting that content out there because of all the nerves it's outside of my comfort zone for sure and I do have to push myself how about you
1: Lindsay if I could take the fear (laughs) away my goodness then I would really be free I I'm nervous every day yesterday you and I were talking and I was I had to film something and I was nervous for like two hours that morning and it was not a good feeling I couldn't wait until it was over to be all honest with you I was glad it was in the morning because I didn't have to live with that like pit in my stomach all day. <laughs> because I was doing an interview with somebody, and you know, someone I, I I definitely respected. I didn't want to mess it up. The team was kind of like, you know, we're putting all their eggs in my basket. Like essentially, if I mess this up, we don't have any content. Um, even today, about <laughs> five minutes before we started, I was setting up, and I said to the team, "I'm like, oh, I'm getting nervous. I'm getting nervous. I'm nervous to do a lot of things." Um, I think the key is not to try to only do stuff that doesn't make you nervous it's to really assess whether or not the nerves are warranted. So obviously I do believe in following your gut. If something doesn't feel right, I don't think you should do it. But like, does it, is it just a little bit of butterflies? And are you even accurately describing what it is? Are you nervous or, and anxious or are you kind of like anticipating it? Maybe it's actually excitement. Those feelings can feel very similar. And I actually learned this from being <laughs> a nanny to this, this girl, she was 20 years old. And she would say, I'm scared, I'm scared. And we would be like going to the movies. And I was like, what are you scared about? Like, I don't understand. She kept saying, I'm scared, I'm scared, I'm scared. And get all freaked out over it. And then I realized, I'm like, she's excited. They feel very, very similar. Those feelings, that feeling in your stomach. its So sometimes it's, you might not be accurately describing your feelings. So just take note, take a pause and say, you know, I look at myself in the mirror every day. I'm like, you can do this. You can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, just to get myself out of that rut and to and to move forward. And nine times out of 10, by the time it's over, you're like, what was I nervous about? Like, I bet you were thinking about
0: this podcast for
1: a while (laughs) before you really started. Right. And that first episode, you were probably like sweating and like so nervous, but then you did it. And then you were like, Oh, it was actually pretty easy.
0: Gets easier over time. Yeah. I love that. And I think it's so good to note too, because you, you speak so well, you don't look nervous. So it's good to note too, just for people getting started that. Yeah. Everyone starts somewhere. Everyone feels these nerves that we all have. And we just push through it because it is worth it It's outside of your comfort zone. And that's where the growth is. So yeah, I I think a lot
1: of people, you know, we, we were talking yesterday as well about this, right? Like you show on social media, like the best fit, um, videos or images of yourself. And usually people are talking quite positively. And so you, you kind of you know, us as society looks at each other and thinks everyone has it figured out. And we're the only ones who like, doesn't have it figured out. And everyone else is walking around confident with their life together. And here's me, like I'm crying while trying to put my sock on. Cause there's a hole in it today. And I'm emotionally a wreck. Like everyone is a wreck. Everyone yes. has their shit. And, um, you you can't look at just the way i'm portraying myself today as like i have anything together i've been doing this now a couple of years being on a podcast so i've gotten more used to it but that still doesn't mean i'm not nervous it still doesn't mean i i don't want to do a great job for my friend lindsay while i'm here <laughs> like there's there should always be nervousness and if quite frankly if you're not a little bit fearful of something that's going on in your day then You're not really pushing yourself outside your comfort zone and you're not going to go and get that thing or that goal that you really, really want, because that goal should be outside your comfort zone, because if it's not, then you've probably already attained it. So it's like, what's next? What's next?
0: Awesome. Okay. Let's switch gears a little bit and let's get into pre-construction sales and why. what is the benefits of pre-construction?
1: Yeah, pre construction sales has been a great eye opening experience for me and a lot of the clients, investor clients, particularly that I work with. Pre construction is essentially buying paperwork for a unit. I'm going to talk about condos specifically. So, a unit in a building, three, four, five years before it's built. And so, what happens is you're buying the paperwork from the developer, essentially from a blueprint. You're going to see the floor plan and you're going to select it. There's a lot of risk. Obviously involved in that because is you know, is it going to be built the exact way that they've shown here on paper? And at the same time, your money is tied up for those three, four, five years. The great news is about pre-construction is that you don't need a mortgage until it's built. So you get to put your name down on paper for a piece of property today at today's pricing, but it's not built, and I don't need to get a mortgage for it until three, four years. Usually in that time, prices increase in value, or I should say you know, the the unit appreciates in value over time, either from forced appreciation by the builder because they're increasing pricing as they go through their sales cycle and just the market has appreciated in value. We always say, um, you know, real estate goes up and down upwards, right? And so if you're kind of riding that upward trajectory, by the time the three, four years passes by, you could have made 100 to 150, $200,000 by the time you move in, but you're only getting a mortgage on the price that you paid. And so there's quite a bit of built-up equity uh, in the unit. Um, Also, the deposits are extended over a period of time. So if you were saying investing in a a resale uh, duplex, for example, you would need 20% down in the next 60 days if that was your closing period, right? With pre-construction, that 20% is broken up into usually 5% payments over time. Sometimes you'll get an even better incentive of it being like two and a half payments over time essentially allowing you to save money. So you don't need it all today. You just need to know that you need to hit those markers as you go along. So it's really, really great for first-time homebuyers. Um, if they can't get a mortgage or they don't have the down payment and great for investors who might have other things on the go and they don't necessarily have the funds ready today, um, it allows them kind of a little bit more time to, to save accordingly.
0: Awesome. And uh, Talk to us about exit strategies out of... Um... A pre-construction sale as well.
1: So there's there's a few ways you can get out of the deal. So obviously, I'm going to preach that you buy it today with the anticipation that you're going to hold it. You are going to close on this unit. You're going to get a tenant in, and that's really how you're going to win in real estate by buying and holding. Buying right? and holding. You're going exactly. to have. Yeah, you. I'm. Uh, we speak the same language. Preaching so to the choir. <laughs> it's going to be paying down your mortgage. You'll continue to uh, appreciate and value, and then what happens is you have all this equity in your unit you refinance, take out the equity, and then go buy something else without ever parting ways with the real estate, right? Of course, at any given time during that period, once it is closed and you have a tenant and you can sell your unit, that's obviously one way to, to get out. The second way to get out of the deal or to be creative about it is if on closing, you can't get financing, you can look for joint venture partners. We do this quite a bit where someone will say, ooh, I didn't get that money back from another investment on time and I can't close. So I ended up bringing in my uncle, my cousin, my friend, or just another person from an investor community that I, who I know, um, and and we're going to do a joint venture. They're going to get the mortgage under their name and I'm going to give them equity in the deal. And then they split it that way. And then the final way, and this one's very, very important. Okay. So I want to take my time with this one. When you're signing for a pre- a pre-built condo you want to make sure that in the documents that you have the right to assign your unit so an assignment is essentially me the purchaser selling the paperwork before the building is built so over the course of those three four years life happens let's say covid 2 god forbid ha- happens <laughs> and there's another pandemic and this purchaser loses their job say i lose my job and i'm like i don't think i can close on this or i need to get the money out cuz i'm you know i'm having a cash flow problem you're allowed to, i'm allowed to sell my paperwork to say lindsay the new buyer so she's essentially going to step in my place as the buyer and lindsay will then close the unit still in a year out um again some people use that as their actual investing strategy because usually you've made a decent amount of, of profit as we go along. As I mentioned, the developer is going to increase the prices during the sales cycle. So there's some forced appreciation there and plus the market appreciation. So some investors will buy pre-construction with the goal of assigning it. Like they never had any intention of closing. My only concern with that as your actual strategy is that if the market um, if, if the market goes down, and you're forced to sell because you can't close. You might not be clo- um, selling at a profit, right? And so that's Definitely. the concern there. That's certainly the risk. Although I do see some people who who have done very very well with that strategy. So I always say use the assignment really as your as your uh, your safety blanket.
0: I love that. So what things should, I know you mentioned the right to assign. Is there anything else that should be included in these contracts when you're looking at which property you're wanting to invest in and at what point do you want to buy?
1: Yeah, definitely. So there's two other incentives you really want to make sure you, you know, and have in your documents. Um, The first one being capped development charges. So when the property is built, the city that that, that building is, uh, is built in, they'll charge the developer a bunch of fees and taxes, and then the developer will pass all those fees on to you. And because we're talking about three, four years out, we don't know what those fees are going to be in the future. Um, here in the city of Toronto, they've been as high as twenty dollars to $25,000. If you didn't get those capped, you might be slapped with a bill on closing of $25,000 for which you didn't anticipate and you didn't save accordingly for us you want to make sure those fees are capped Um, if the the fees come in at less from the builder you'll pay the lesser amount and if they come in at more lucky you you don't have to pay that that difference then the the last incentive you want to make sure that you have in writing is the right to lease during occupancy this is particularly important for investors obviously if you're an end user not as important but I describe it like this. There's two important dates when you're closing on a pre-construction transaction. There's the occupancy date and the closing date. The occupancy date comes first. And that's when essentially you get the keys to the unit. You're allowed to move in. Um, and, you know, it's undergone all the safety inspections and and it's it's decent enough to live in. And I say decent enough because there might be a couple floors who are still under construction or <laughs> uh, maybe the gym's still under construction. So the building's not fully, fully built. This period of time is about six to eight months, and you'll be paying what's called an occupancy fee during this time. So you haven't closed on the unit, you don't get title for it, but you are allowed to live in the unit. Uh, The occupancy fee is made up of your property taxes, your maintenance fees, and a small portion of the interest that the builder's paying for your unit. So you have to pay that no matter what. If you are a landlord and you're not allowed to rent during this period of time, then obviously you're gonna be negative cash flow quite a bit because you have these expenses regardless and you have no opportunity to get some income. Some developers don't like to allow people to rent during this time, simply because you don't own it, the developer owns it and they don't wanna deal with your tenant who you've picked. Uh, So it's very, very important that the developer does allow you to do that during that time. Again, it's six to eight months and then you go through your closing, On that date, you get title and that's when you get the mortgage. So those periods are are usually pretty far apart. And then the last thing that you mentioned, and and this one's really, really important, is how does somebody make money in this this type of deal? When you're buying pre-construction, you want to make sure you're buying at what we call first access pricing. First access pricing is just that. It's the first time the developer is selling units and this is the very first day and this is the very first pricing. Usually what happens is Depending on the demand for the building, over the course of, say, the first week, the second week, if there's a ton of demand, the developer will stop selling units, they hold back some, and then they'll launch those units uh, at a higher price. It can increase anywhere. Like, I just did one the other day, and it increased $24,000 between the first access pricing and the second access pricing. How you get in on that deal is, is not necessarily easy, because it's not like you can walk in off the sidewalk, into the sales center and get first access pricing. That's very, very rare. By the time the sales center is open to the general public, we've already gone under three, four, five price increases. Okay? So what you want to do is make sure that you're working with um, an agent or a team who has access to first access pricing. They're essentially going to be called a platinum agent Um, Or they're going to talk about them having first access pricing. So you definitely want to make sure that you have that because then you get to ride the wave of all the price increases. By the time sales are done, you know, you've probably made $50,000 on your unit and and a year has passed by and all you had to do was write some checks.
0: Awesome. Okay. Sorry. I'm just getting um, a notification that I might be running out of memory, but we will continue. It's still recording. So great. Um, And I know you did talk about one that you just did. And It was me. So I bought a pre-construction condo um, with the help of Laura and the REC team. And what I really, um, why I bought this was for a lot of the reasons that Laura just said. But the reason that I trusted you guys was that you do do all of this research. You make it, you put out the content too. You give everything away for free so that someone could go and do it on their own. But I know that you guys have done all that research for me. And that was really why I wanted to buy as well. I am only a year and a half in as a realtor. So the fact that I don't have to get a mortgage for four years is uh, a great incentive. So, um, yeah, thanks so much for helping me out on that one and I'm loving the forced appreciation already. So that's great. You're
1: very, very welcome. I mean, working with you has been super fun for me because I know you so well and, um, for me as well, like my first investment property that I purchased was also pre-construction, which is so nice because to the listeners, it's like, well, you you want to know that the people who are selling this to you do it as well. And I do. Like I I probably will continue to buy pre-construction condos simply because I consider myself a fairly lazy investor in that I have, I don't really have that much interest in going around and repairing toilets and dealing with tenants just yet in time. So I've given myself essentially four more years until I really have to worry about it. I'll hope to pick up maybe one or two more, maybe consider doing some joint ventures, with maybe Lindsay. Yeah. Um, and it's just so great. Cause you mentioned that, yes, although we teach you how to do it on your own, ideally with pre-construction, like I said, you, you really want to make sure you're working with the right group of people because you don't have access to the developer like we do, like we know when these things are launching, usually a couple months in advance. And so we're able to talk to the developer, negotiate certain incentives, like cap development charges, lease during occupancy. Sometimes there's some other little thing, minor things that we want to make sure that we have in writing. And without that knowledge, you wouldn't really know what you're looking for. And you certainly wouldn't be able to get in at that first access pricing. And so Lindsay, as you were saying, like you've done so well on this unit already, it was really exciting for me to, make mention to you that I got a new price list and guess what? Your unit's gone up by $24,000. And I don't even think you were outside your 10 day due diligence yet. Like you weren't even firm. I was like, you already made some money. (laughs) I don't even think I have your checks yet. So kudos (laughs) to you. You took action. I think that's the biggest lesson I could teach anybody is when you're buying real estate is secure the property through signing a a conditional deal. So in pre-construction, your your deal is automatically conditional for 10 days in the province of Ontario. So make sure wherever you're listening from that you know what what your conditional period is. And you can get out of that deal for whatever reason. You might say, you know what? I don't like Laura's bow on her sweater anymore and I don't want to work with her and I don't (laughs) want this project. Whatever the reason is, you can get out of the deal as long as it's in the 10 days. And for any other type of real estate that you're buying, let's say it's a resale deal, secure the property, tie it up, make it conditional on inspection, make it conditional on financing. And that gives you lots of ways to get out of the deal. But the important part is, is that you secure the unit because had Lindsay not made that move as quickly as she did, I had 50 other people waiting for a unit. And so it would have been gone and she would have had no option to get it unless she wanted to get it at the next access pricing when I was selling it the week after, or when I got the price list the mm-hmm. week after um, for a much higher price.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, and I really appreciate all the information that you shared with my viewers today, my listeners, and yeah, it's, we, Laura and I, we run a room on Clubhouse, and I know I talked about Clubhouse in the last episode. If you're not on Clubhouse, get on Clubhouse, because the connections that you we're making with people are unreal, um, but every Thursday at 5 p.m., we run a women investing in real estate room, and it's, it's so awesome. The ladies that we get in there and the, just the conversations that we're having, um, is so awesome, but yeah, thanks yeah, for coming I, on. Lindsay, Laura. I, I,
1: that was, this was all your idea. You had reached out to me <laughs> a number of weeks ago now and you were like, Laura, let's do a clubhouse room. And I was like, okay, sure. Like, I don't really know how to use <laughs> clubhouse yet, but let's do it. So again, just getting outside your comfort zone and this group of women that comes in, like, I don't even know half of them. There's some people from the U S it's so it's so fun to be in a group of like-minded uh, women. And of course, you and I always say like men, of course, are welcome to this too. But it's just a really nice uh, place for, for women who want to talk about investing in real estate, but they feel like they're always getting drowned out. Um, a lot of investors, you know, generally speaking, are, you know, it's usually the man of the house in, in my experience, when we're talking about buying someone's like property that they're going to live in. It's usually the woman making all the decisions because they're envisioning the kids and the dog and the backyard and the parties that they're going to have. When it comes to real estate, when it's a little bit more numbers focused, um, you just see it tend to turn over over to the husbands of the family. And so, I think it's such a great idea that you started this room. It's empowering women to talk about numbers and to talk about how we're going to uh, do the due diligence on properties, and and it also inspires other women to take action right take action for themselves not just wait for someone else to do it for them there's there's so many opportunities and i know this is huge for you as much as it is for me it's like we want our own money we want our own investments and we want things that we have the ability to make decisions on and this is just such a such an inspiring thing for women to get into so kudos to you for starting the room and i I'm, I'm pumped every every Thursday for f- at five o'clock to get in this room and, and talk about stuff. I know today we're talking about pre-construction, so that's right up my alley. So good job, <laughs> Lindsay. <laughs> it's
0: awesome. Thanks, Laura. And thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it and really appreciate all the knowledge that you have um, around pre-construction condos. Anyone looking to be investing in Toronto or the surrounding area in pre-construction, Laura is the one to talk about. So I will make sure to link her information as well. And Laura, I'll see you today at 5 p.m.
1: See you at 5, Lindsay. Thanks so much.
0: See ya.